Welcome to Herblandia. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Corey. Uh, today we have the pleasure of uh, having on Aziz Bakari. Is that how you pronounce your name? That's correct, yes. All right, perfect. I nailed it. <laughs> so how are you doing? Tell me about, you know, who you are, the work that you do. Uh, how are you uh, surviving in the midst of uh, this uh, pandemic situation? Yes, uh, well, first, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, anytime just to speak with you know and share ideas with people is an amazing opportunity uh, so my, i am aziz bakari um i am a, a visualist I, I specialize in 3d architectural visualization uh, pretty much i am responsible for creating uh, portraits of unbuilt architecture i work with mostly developers uh, real estate developers uh, interior designers and architecture firms and i'm also a lover of photography and drone videography and uh yeah to wrap it up i'm mostly considered as a visualist um, my passion is showcasing how beautiful things are and how beautiful things they can become uh, using the skills that i've learned architectural visualization and photography amazing so um you, you're based out of Miami, correct? Correct, yes. But uh, tell us a little bit about your path getting to Miami. Where are you from originally? What's your, your family's heritage? And what did you study? You know, what, what was that uh, moment that you decided you wanted to become uh, an architectural visualist in the space? Yes, so uh, I was born in Staten Island, New York, and to, to parents from Nigeria. So I'm Nigerian. But, you know, just born here, my parents, both born in Nigeria, grandparents born in Nigeria. And uh, I actually moved over from Staten Island, New York to Ohio when I was around five years old. So my path started over there. And then in the Midwest, I grew up and went to high school, also went to university in Ohio. Uh, I come from a family of engineers. So my dad is a civil engineer. Uh, my brother is also a civil engineer, and I decided that that wasn't really for me. <laughs> so I was more interested in the visual aspect of just design. I really loved drawing. I loved sketching. I actually loved math, and, and I figured those loves can come into a field of architecture. So that was the path that I decided to go on, and it's just been a crazy path but you know I first started off in architecture not even really knowing what I was doing because in the program we we did not even use the skills and the the passions that I was you know using in high school it, it was really about conceptual thinking and, and critical thinking and so I decided to stick with it and I ended up just really loving visual communication design as well and I implemented both of those two loves into what I do today. Um, but after university, I ended up going to Washington, D.C. for my first job. And I worked at an international architecture firm called HOK. And over there, I was a 3D visualist. That was my first uh, opportunity. And I had amazing leadership. You know, I was learning from extremely talented people. Uh, they taught me so many foundations of visualization. Of course, I knew a lot of the software architectural programs, but 
they just taught me how to be an artist. They taught me how to illustrate. They taught me about light. And that's where I picked up my first camera as well. And uh, I guess the shortest way I could put it was that from then, everything just came, became about passion and quality. And I just wanted to be the best possible visualist that I could be. So I started learning more about photography and, and learning some of the best companies that do uh, architectural visualization. And I came across uh, a company called uh, D-Box, which their headquarters was in, or I think it still is in London. And they had an office in New York as well, but they're opening a new one in Miami Beach. So I definitely applied for that. And thankfully I got the opportunity. It was either working with them or working at Google as a visualist which that position didn't exist. I just figured out, created. <laughs> um, nice. So, and after that, that's what brought me to Miami. And I've been here now for about six years. And I've been running my virtual studio for about five years now. And it's just a dream. It's a dream come true. <laughs> now, uh, you... You know, you described a really great path uh, of mm-hmm. really, um, you know, having opportunities, uh, being passionate, pursuing, you know, mm-hmm. quality, you know, your dreams uh, alongside this. Uh, were there any obstacles that were associated with, because of your skin color, mm-hmm. that ever came up? Did you ever felt in any way that was an issue uh, as you, you know, sub- whether it's subconsciously or very direct? That was a factor in, in, in anything that you you, you did? Uh, most definitely. Uh, growing up for me, I, I, I grew up in different, um, like different types of diversity in terms of cultural and just like visually. Um, just, I, I, I knew that I was definitely like different because of my name, but thankfully the way that my parents, you know, raised me. They never made me feel like I was different. Um, it was definitely a funny thing when in school, you know, when teachers are calling my name <laughs> and not really knowing how to pronounce it. But, you know, I never felt less than. Thankfully, I had, you know, great surroundings. But when it comes to the workplace, I was always... I was always feeling as if that I had to do more to get um, something that someone else would just do this less for. So f- even for the position that I applied for, I always thought that I had to give 150% um, for a position where I guess someone else would only have to give 100%. And that's kind of like how I just went about things because I felt that being someone of color, a black man, you know, sometimes people would look at me as less than or maybe treat me differently. But I never let that make me feel less. It just made me feel as if I had to do more. And it uh, it built an awareness in you that you felt like you have to strive for excellence (laughs) way beyond your peers. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. That's, that's pretty much you summed it up. And so I, I always try to figure a way to keep it positive um but even today you know it's it's something that I've like really had to take a deep look at 
and and learn a lot more about and, and have more conversations with people is it's a it's a crazy time but i'm very you know grateful for what is happening in terms of the awareness that's been being spread to all sorts of people you know people are sharing their experiences and people are starting to understand a little bit more about why people are feeling these ways and expressing their themselves in these ways these days um but yeah and besides the professional uh workspace I, I don't know i definitely just grew up with that mindset in general just that i always had to do more but it was never something that i felt was was a bad thing it was more so like i know how people can perceive me just based on what i look but i always want them to just give me a chance you know and let me let me do what i love you know yeah and and, and so you know speaking of uh, people in this moment and, and i'll be very specific yeah because of george mm-hmm. uh, floyd mm-hmm. ish, uh that you know the, the death the murder mm-hmm. um and that being very much broadcast to the world and that we have this moment where you know black lives matter uh mm-hmm. you know being you know very vocal the protests you know try, uh, bringing about change and mm-hmm. is, is essentially affecting change as we speak mm-hmm. uh, uh when it comes to expression I've noticed mm-hmm. that a lot of my black friends who mm-hmm. would never in a professional context, I mean, knowing their community, they would never express themselves on social mm-hmm. uh, with the words that they would use, the choice of words, the, the amount of anger, the, vis- the sort of visceral, visceral exp- expression of just rage, um, mm-hmm. you know, in reaction to the moment. But I still, I see that they're just like, you know what, not caring. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, is this now mm-hmm. a moment where people are just kind of like, you know what, enough is enough. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. just going to be just be as real as possible. How does that, how's that, has that affected you? Was there a fear in perhaps, you know, it would affect your business? Um, where, where are you at with, with that mindset right now? Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, I, I definitely feel similar way where I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of my friends, my black friends that have kind of stayed quiet and you know some of them are voicing their concerns with me personally you know I'm I'm trying my best to <laughs> to stay positive you know there there's just so much that's being pushed towards everyone with with the movement and with people telling people how to express themselves and people shaming people and giving people guilt and there's just such a plethora of information and feelings and emotions being thrown around for me personally i i try to just recharge because it's you know it's it's tough just as a human first to to see all this and to see people being killed in this way you know unarmed people being killed and my method to stay sane and to to stay positive is to to figure a way to contribute as a human first and use my strength or strengths that I that I feel that I have to somehow support take action and also inspire and motivate others to do the same um for me I'm really passionate about visuals and thankfully I'm in a position where I can donate funds to organizations so I'm, you know, I'm doing that. I'm also like going out there and protesting. Um, and at the same time, I'm seeing my friends who 
who may not really agree with any of those actions or even wants to be a part of it. But it just, it brings pain to me <laughs> to see that that people may not want to be involved in it because in my opinion, I just feel like it's a human issue issue first where regardless of, you know, your color or race, I feel that any person that is, you know, where their life is given less value, like that should make you feel something because it's not really, it's not really something that's acceptable. So I feel that someone should take action in general. Um, if they're being silent, I can, I can understand where people come from in their experiences. Everyone has different experiences and perspectives, but especially as a person of color, like during these times, it's people really want to hear from you either, you know, if it's through social media or just through a conversation. I feel that people, I have friends who are not black and they don't even know how to help and they don't know how to become involved. And then I also have people who have opposing perspectives to me as well, which is totally acceptable. And in those situations, I am, I try my best to just open my mind and try to learn from them too. And I just, yeah. in general though, I just feel like it's, it's something that's so, uh, it's so massive. It's, I think that people should find a way to, to help, either yeah, or just, you know, do, just someone just do you know do their do their part yeah um, not necessarily take on the entire world on their shoulder Correct. or the entire movement on their shoulder thinking that exactly it's all about them but yeah being able to say okay mm -hmm. even if it's just to talk to a friend mm -hmm. uh you know this one-to-one -one interaction is where i feel it, it starts you know with yeah. the dismantling even yeah, even the other day, um, and I've been living in Miami for six years. I came from the last came from you know before DC. I was in mid, the Midwest. People are just really hardworking, blue collar, really friendly. Um, they'll ask you how you're doing. So just the other day, like after a few protests, like for the first time, a random stranger, like from the first time I can even remember, <laughs> someone just said like, that was walking down Wynwood. They said like, hey, you know, how are you doing? And I was just in shock because like no one's Did really that done you? that. It's like, oh, what, what you talking yeah. about? <laughs> so I was like, wow. <laughs> so, you know, even something as simple as just like being aware and just, you know, saying hi to your neighbors, like it's something so small, but it can, it can change a lot. You know, it shows that there's people who believe in humanity and like have faith in humanity. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is for me. <laughs> so, you know, people asking and, you know, how you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, they check in on, you know, what are some of the action items I, sh I should be pursuing right now, uh, especially if they're not people of color, they, mm -hmm. you know, they're just really afraid of um, being shamed or call out, which, you know, social mm -hmm. media can be a beautiful thing, but it also has a <laughs> dark and ugly side uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, the comment section is very cold. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not the human interaction and uh, people just fire off in any given moment, right? Because you have this thing that you have access to 24 seven, it's mm -hmm. with you. And whatever mm -hmm. emotional moment, you know, you're having, uh, you can send out that, that late night tweet. I won't call out anybody, mm -hmm. but you know who does that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and say stuff that you, you end up regretting and it's a record mm -hmm. forever. But, um, you know, speaking of just, you know, action items, um, and as, as a visualist, 
Mm-hmm. You, you you travel quite a bit because you know I know you and I follow you. You know what you do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you you travel a lot. How did that give you? How how did that give you perspective? And what what did that do to you as a person and opening up your your perspective on the world and mm-hmm. and, and how you you use that in your life and your visual, visualization and work and professional life. Yes, um, in general, uh, just travel. Travel opened up my eyes to seeing just difference in diversity. You know, it allowed me to see things for what they are in the moments through my own eyes rather than, you know, someone on TV telling me what something is. Um, I I travel also to really to connect to nature and because nature is like my number one inspiration when it comes to creating these visualizations. I'm learning a lot about just the organic type of material, whether it's just a beautiful landscape in another country or whether it's something extremely, um, you know, fierce when it comes to materiality. When I was like, when I last went to, uh, my last trip actually was to uh, Bolivia in Salada de Uni. It's a, a massive salt flat uh, and it's just a complete mirror whenever it's during the rainy season. But experiences like that just really changed my perspective and seeing what's possible. And that's another thing that travel does for me is like it allows me to see what is possible in terms of um, the type of people in the world, the type of landscape, the type of nature, the visual effects, uh, lighting conditions, and just a variety of things. So that's what travel does for me. And then it also opens my eyes to see, opens my eyes up to see what people are are like how they treat people in different areas and different zones i've had amazing treatment in places where they say that i should never go you know so i've just been able to see it firsthand and and learn from the locals and that's one other thing i love to do when i travel which is just stay where the locals stay and and meet the locals go maybe do an airbnb experience uh guided by a local letting them show me around from their perspective, what they believe about their country, how the government treats them. And it just really is such an, a, a grateful opportunity. And then I get to bring that back here and share with other people through my visuals and, and have conversations and just use that in my everyday life and apply it to my, my profession as well. So it's just a full circle thing. And I'm, I'm kind of missing it right now <laughs> with all the restrictions, but I'm I'm trying my best to to feel as if I can do that here, which I'm doing a little bit of it here in Miami, you know, just stepping out a little bit, going to some areas I haven't visited as much. Essential uh, COVID uh, mm-hmm. staycation or yes. <laughs> your backyard explorations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to West Palm Beach the other day or a couple of weeks ago, and I was really nice. I, I've actually never been, been there. there for more than like a couple of hours. So that yeah. was nice to explore for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you spoke on something that is essentially uh, been a part of the narrative of just people of color and specifically blacks in this uh, mm-hmm. country uh, since, mm-hmm. you know, the first uh, slave ship uh, landed here mm-hmm. um, is fear, mm-hmm. right? And that's ingrained and mm-hmm. I think uh, people don't realize that, tra- that trauma is very deep-seated 
mm-hmm. and passed down from generation to generation, especially if uh, the same systems are in place to perpetuate mm-hmm. that trauma. Um, you know, the Southern Poverty Law, Poverty, uh, Law Center publishes a map of hate groups around the United States. And the other day I posted that and people were were absolutely blown away that something mm-hmm. like that even exists, that you would want to consult a map just before you decide to venture, even within the United States, to travel. Wow. Um, but, you know, you're saying that people would tell you don't go to this place, but you would mm-hmm. go anyway. Mm-hmm. How did how did you overcome that? And, you know, how, that, how does that, you know, just that letting go of fear affect mm-hmm. just even opening up opportunities for uh, everything else that you do? Yes, great uh, question. Um, with fear, uh, to me, I I grew up having a lot of fear of just different activities just because I just didn't know. And I think most people have fears because the biggest fear is like the fear of the unknown for most people. And for me, I just was kind of thrown into one of those situations where it was something that I was fearful of and then I ended up coming out of it. And it just was like the most amazing thing. And it made me grow. And that was just a trip that I was just forced to go on. Um, It was a a work trip back in D.C. And, you know, after that experience, I really just wanted more. I wanted more of that feeling. I wanted to see more. And that's kind of how I lived my life after that. I mean, it was fearful for me to just go to another state and, and, that I've never been to and just like start a new life and just doing more of the traveling just kept pushing me towards this whole fear of unknown booking trips only based on like the price of the flight, not even knowing where I'm staying is that's my new thing. And it's just, it's normal to me now. Um, even with um, places that are, 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 are seeming to be very dangerous. Of course, I'll do research and, and and learn as much as I can. But in general, I just, I like the feeling of, of growing and like experiencing things that in general people say you shouldn't. And I, I always want to just know why. And I want to know like, why do they say this? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? And I found out the best way for me to, to experience and live is, to just do things based off of my own purpose rather than what the pub- public says about it. Um, and and now that's just become normal for me in terms of not just travel, but just also like listening to other people who are not like me, you know, hearing their, their perspective, people who are, are hating people that look like me, like I'm actually listening. I might yeah. not be their friend, but <laughs> yeah, I'm trying not, to see why, you know. <laughs> you're not in a bubble. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, they don't only follow accounts that, you know, are of the like-minded kind. Yeah. Right. It's always like searching for the why. And, you know, for me, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the people and, and, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to see like, why are they this way, you know, and it you explains know, a lot things, more. So one of the things that I, I, I noticed, uh, it still happens mm-hmm. in renderings and get back mm-hmm. to 3D visualization. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the renderings of, uh, you know, uh, the, the architectural design, mm-hmm. uh, buildings, uh, especially talk about, you know, so much of uh, what goes on here in Miami, you know, is very develop, mm-hmm. developer driven. Um, you know, I'm looking through my, my window right now from downtown and I see a lot of cranes everywhere mm-hmm. um, as we speak. But in the renderings, there was always, there was always a sort of like very 
uh, very specific on, uh, on on one type of group represented mm-hmm. in those photos. So if you have the models, the three models of a man and a woman, they were typically mm-hmm. white. Mm-hmm. You know, how how much of that is requested by the developers um, mm-hmm. versus do you have the ability to insert people of color, a broader mm-hmm. ethnic group that, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I can afford an apartment in this place or a condo in this mm-hmm. place to live here because mm-hmm. I've arrived, I've, I've worked hard. And, you know, just because my, my skin color doesn't mean anything, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how much of, you know, your input do they take and uh, versus do they make that very specific request about the demographic mm-hmm. that they're trying to appeal to? Uh, it's it definitely varies. Uh, for the most part, like I always do what I feel when it comes to the visualizations. Like they'll most of the clients, they trust my vision. They trust the story I'm trying to tell, of course, with their input. But you know, when it comes to the people, it's usually me placing either like what the area really is like, or placing in the area like what or how beautiful or how diverse I think it could be. And there's definitely been times that I've done projects, you know, where the client says, oh, well, we need to, you know, add more white people or we need to add more black people. So I've done projects that are in areas where the population is definitely higher, a black population. And, you know, the client will say, oh, yeah, we need to add more of that, that scenario. And I've had situations where it's complete opposite. but my passion and when it comes to visualizations, I try my best to just make it as real as possible. And if that means like putting what the demographic is, I can do, I would love to do that. Um, and if they want it to be something else, I can do that as well. But in general, I would say most people don't really comment on it unless it's just like a certain like recently gentrified area where they're like oh yeah we need to have less black people they'll put like one black person in there <laughs> but then i can like i i have the power to kind of sneak things and i i i, I joke around with my mentor um he's the, for, the guy who hired me when it comes to visualization for my first gig and we we play around with the images we always like to have fun but we'll we'll complete the assignment but you know we can sneak and put, you know, certain people in areas that the, the average person wouldn't see, and like only the artist would see in the image. <laughs> so, so we, sub- we have subconsciously <laughs> registering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great time, you know, and that's what I always try to do with these visuals. I try to just have fun and enjoy the process, enjoy like the final image, and just mm. have a good time. Because to me, I, I do not look at it as work and. Mm. And that's what keeps me interested in it. So, so for um, you know, earlier on, I had um, uh, in another episode, uh, Jermaine Barnes from uh, Barnes mm-hmm. Studio. Yes. Uh, on, and <laughs> cool. Yeah, and we we're talking about uh, just you know education um, mm-hmm. and how many uh, young kids or people of color um, are even thinking about becoming you know architects, uh, you know, much less a visualist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many are in your field and where do you see education, um, you know, representing or accessing or giving exposure, trying to recruit more and more, uh, kids in these communities who could be a part of this, uh, you know, uh, storytelling medium of, of, of visual, uh, 3d, you know, representation stuff like that. 
yeah, this this industry, you know, even in my class, I study architecture. In my class, I don't even know how many others I could probably count on one hand. Out of 90, maybe a few of them were black men or women. And I'm, I'm a part of an organization called, um, it's called uh, Black Architects in the Making. And pretty much their MO is to do what you were saying in your question, like expose the industry to underrepresented uh, neighborhoods and communities. And I would love for there to be more architectural visualizers like me. I don't know many that are of color, um, especially here in Miami. And it's just a, there's a big push for that. I have a couple of friends, um, black architect, they call him the hip hop architect, uh, Michael Ford. And he's mm. his whole initiative is to push this industry and and show that people like us can actually do this, you know. Um and I've had opportunities to even speak with kids in, in communities and they didn't even know this is this is something that exists, like this is a career that exists and I think it's just in general people don't know much about architectural visualization, but I love going into communities and speaking with people about it because they they think it's really cool that they can kind of visualize and dream about something and make it happen. And that's what people, how they live their lives, you know, they have a goal and they can visualize what they want to do. And it's a really good skill. Um, I, I'm just very grateful to be a part of that organization that's here. And they're just trying to grow it and just expose. I think it'll bring a new perspective to the industry, you know, it's the same thing with black architects and there's not a lot, but they're, the numbers are growing, but there's an initiative to improve that and organizations like National Organization of Minority Architects. And again, Michael Ford, he's, he's just doing a lot for that as well with this hip hop architecture camp. Um, it's, it's great to see more people becoming aware about it. It's, it's interesting that the mentality of we can do that too, mm-hmm. you know, exists, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it just speaks to the underlying trauma uh, that, that I believe it, we, we have so much work to do on that because even, even the way we phrase things is like, of course you can mm-hmm. do that too. You're, you're a human being with a brain, you know, right. and if you have access, access, you know, that you, you can pretty much uh, flourish in the environment that was created for you. Uh, you know, that's how I, I see it. And that's the way it should be. Uh, you know, they will mm-hmm. say it's, it's maybe equal opportunity in this country, but it's not always equal access. And, and, and just so, you know, as we wrap this up, I just wanted to ask you being that you're, you're visualist mm-hmm. and a lot of what you do is about executing on a vision, right? It hasn't happened yet. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a process of creating, um, mm-hmm. how do you visualize as, as best as you can, how do you visualize us moving forward past this moment, taking the opportunity that 2020 actually is not hashtag canceled, but mm-hmm. it was it, it was set up for a very specific reason for us as a, as a human race? Mm-hmm. You know, how is Aziz uh, visualizing the future for himself and peers and and, and the collective? That's great. Yeah, I, I I agree that this year happened for a reason. Um, even for me personally, it's 
kind of made me stop. I'm always just wanting to go move, make moves and continue driving. But for me moving forward, this has taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me that I can do more, but also celebrate where I am. Um, I'm, I'm just really focused on just trying to be a better person, which for me is sharing my experiences. I'm a black man, but my my perspective in my life is different from the next black man. You know, I've grown up in different areas. I've been considered a minority within a minority group because of my name and where my parents are from. You know, that does make me different than the other black man and the next black man. So I've had to personally educate myself differently. I don't have the same feelings about these topics as everyone else. And it's really forced me to truly, you know, educate myself on this matter, not just of the history of America. You know, it's, it's just taught me to really force myself to have a conversation with someone, like, again, that's not like me. Um, it's taught me to bring awareness to this in my way, in the best way that I can do, like using my skill set and using where my passion is. You know, I may not be a the the loudest protester, you know, on the street, um, but I'm going to step outside and go see what it's like and, and be a part of the movement in my own way. I may not be the the next president or anything political or politically sound person, but, you know, I'm going to go out there and capture this history and share it with the world and show them, like, this is what was going on. You know, we need to become more aware about this. So it's taught me to to use what I can do, use the skills that I have to do what's right as a human. Um, because in the past there have been more situations just like George Floyd, and you know in the past I may not have seen all the details and got extremely involved, but something about the moment right now and something about this year right now has changed. Um, my perspective and many other people's perspectives and really i just want at the end of the day i want people to focus and i want myself to also focus on what it is to be in a human you know we have to understand that we're all humans that's the thing we have in common another thing we have in common is that change is always going to be a constant but we can't change unless we decide that we want to become better or that we want to grow changes it has to happen. So for doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, you know, that's the insanity. So yeah, we know that. So yeah. That's what I believe. Well, I agree with that. Yeah. Being human first, uh, if you want yeah. to classify us into a race, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, call us the human race. Right. And, mm -hmm. and let's just love on each other and in our support and mm -hmm. uh, no matter what they look like. So, mm -hmm. Aziz, I just want to thank you for your time and, um, and, and big ups for actually getting Katie Kirk to actually repost yeah. your, drone, your drone shot. That was dope. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that was that was mind blowing up. I was yeah. quite shocked about that. Uh, it yeah, was great. Katie I'm Kirk, so glad man. that she can. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's awesome. amazing that she can share that with the world. You know. It's, yeah. Well, be safe out there. All right. Much love. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Much love back. Appreciate you. Everybody, we'll talk soon. And uh, just want to thank everyone for listening to uh, Herblandia. It was great to have on Aziz Bakari uh, on this podcast uh, episode. 
uh, check out our uh, the podcast description for links to his website and more information about his work. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned for our next one and uh, catch you guys soon. Join us online at herblandia.com for more updates and uh, announcements. Uh, also, you can find us on any of your favorite streaming platforms. Don't forget to rate and uh, review us and uh, leave your comments. Uh, again, thanks for listening. <laughs>